0: And uh, Mark, gosh, I just love going through the Gospels all the time, but as we work our way through Mark, keep in mind, Mark's going to talk less about what Jesus says and more about what Jesus does. And when we look at Jesus, one of the cool things, one of the really exciting things as we, as we study his life is he is the essence of where word and deed combine into one. So you and I, we're good at saying the words, right? You get what I mean? We can say all the right things, when it comes to doing them, that's kind of a different path altogether. When we look at Christ, man, He, he is the essence where those two things come together. Where you have the, the, the words that He spoke that were incredible, nobody ever talked like Him, ever. And nobody ever did the things that He did. Ever. In fact, today, we, we, as we're going through the scriptures, it says we've never seen anything like this before. You know, God, way back in the beginning, when, when the earth was created, and He's sitting there and He's talking with Adam and Eve after the fall, and He lays out for them this, the concept, the promise that one day a deliverer is going to come and set you free from, from sin that you find yourselves trapped by. And I bet mankind from that moment, from Adam all the way through, we come through Noah, we got the flood. We got a lot of history that goes all the way to Rome. I mean, there's a lot of history happening. I wonder how many times the people who were looking for this promise thought, I hope we don't miss it. I hope he doesn't show up and we don't notice. Well, when Jesus came on the scene, it was impossible not to notice him. There's nobody like him today. There was nobody been like him since. There was nobody like him leading up to him. What do I mean? There were people who healed before, but nobody healed like Jesus healed. When Jesus healed, they were healed now. Now. If they had shriveled up legs, their legs weren't shriveled up no more. If they were leprous, they weren't leprous anymore. Instantly. Instantly. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we're given several things that were signs or symbols of the coming of the promise of the one who was going to take our sins away. You know, one of those was he would open the eyes of the blind and they would see that he would open the ears of the deaf and they would hear that he would make the lame run like a deer That he would set the captives free. Now all of those things are temporary adjustments in our life, right? If you were lame and he makes it so you can run and walk, that's awesome. But it's temporary. One day you're not going to be able to do it anymore. We all get old. We all die. All of those things point to the eternal touch that he was going to make for mankind. He's going to heal us Of our brokenness. The broken relationship that every one of us has. We're broken. Our relationship with God is broken. We're born with a broken relationship with God. And Jesus Christ came to reconcile that relationship. That relationship is divided by sin. We're born in it. It's like we're born with a disease and Jesus Christ is the cure. But there is only two ways... (sighs) Hang tight. Two ways to come to Jesus. You either come broken or you get broken. That's the only ways. The only... You can't come to Him with your mind. You can't come to Him with a lackadaisical look at life. That's not You don't see nobody coming to Him that way. You come to Jesus. You came to Him broke. Reaching out. I need you. You are what I need. You are my solution to the multiple problems in my life. I just need that hope of being able to cling to something that's bigger than me. And so people would come to him that way. Now, the temporary things, does he heal them? Ah, sure he does. Sure he does. But more importantly is when he says to you, My son, your sins are forgiven you. That's pretty incredible. It's an incredible opportunity to see the God of the universe reconcile man. And and as we look at the story, there's some pretty unique things I don't want you to miss as we look at it. Look what it says. Verse 1, And again, he entered Capernaum. And after some days, as it... And it was... Let's try again. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house, and immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. So he comes back to Capernaum. Last time we left, I remember he was making a little tour around the Sea of Galilee, stopping in at the ten cities that were around the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> and he was preaching. What message was he preaching? He's preaching the same message John the Baptist preached, the same one he started to preach when John the Baptist was arrested. Repent, the kingdom of God is near, it's right here, the king is in your midst, repent, let go of that old life, deny all that garbage that you think is is going to satisfy you and cling to a relationship with almighty God, that's the message he preached. And so here the people gather. He comes to Capernaum. It becomes known as the city of Jesus. It's going to be his base of operations. All the time he's in Galilee. And there he's at a house. Might be back at Peter Peter's mother-in-law's house. That might have been the place. Some people think that, that Mary and Joseph moved from Nazareth to Capernaum about this time. And his family was there in Capernaum. And he was at their house. Really doesn't make any difference. If you go to Capernaum today, all the houses look the same a, a big pile of rocks on the ground, <laughs> little outlines of buildings. So he begins to teach him, the people flocked him one of the great things, remember last time we saw Jesus healing and, he, and, he, and he, first he cast out a demon a demon possessed guy, remember and, and he heals everybody that they bring to him and then, then a leper comes and he cleanses the leper and we see him go away and pray remember we talked about it whether he was going away and praying I, you know, Father let the people come to me for what's really important because if move with compassion he's going to heal everyone He's moved with compassion, but he wants people to have a a relationship with him for eternity. Not for the ten minutes that they get to spend with Jesus when he was on earth. And for them to have that relationship, something had to change in their life. Something had to occur. And we talked about the concept of following Jesus, right? Following him. We know, we go through the page of scripture. Don't we know that people followed him sometimes for food? Sure they did. And sometimes they, they followed him for healing and sometimes they followed him because nobody else ever talked like he did. They follow him as he's doing the work of Messiah. They're looking, they're, they're wondering, is this the one? They're filled with hope. It's an exciting time. And there he is in Capernaum and <clears throat> the crowd is there and he's teaching the word. He's teaching the word. I, I love this, this word that they use for teaching or preaching it's the word laleo it means uh, god is speaking is speaking so it's like um it's not the common word for preaching or heralding or or teaching it's the word that says man he he was just talking to us he was just talking to us it, it reminds me because the scripture tells us that in hebrews <clears throat> if you look at hebrews chapter 1 Verse 1, it says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke. You see it? Spoke in times past. That's the same word. It's like this word filled with wonder that says, God talked to us. He talked to us once upon a time. He talked to us through the prophets by bringing the word through the prophets. But in verse 2, it says, he has in these last days spoken to us. He just talked to us how? By his son. God the word Spoke the word. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. Through whom he also made the worlds. Everything that was made. Colossians says. Was made by Jesus Christ. By the way. Everything means. Everything. Oh that means everything. Nothing is left out. Everything that was made, he made. And so he's speaking and he's teaching them. And he goes on in verse three, he says, Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let the bed, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was, was lying. This is probably one of my favorite stories. Because the paralytic guy does not ever say a word. So, depending on where your theology is, it should mess with it a little. So you got this paralytic guy. We don't know nothing about him. The word used for paralyzed just means that. He's, he's paralyzed. Could be just unable to walk. He could be utterly paralyzed. I tend to think because of the way he's brought in that we're probably looking at somebody who had a stroke. And he's not moving. He can't do nothing. He just lays there. He's utterly unable to help himself. But he has four friends. (laughs) Sometimes having four friends is a good thing. Right? He's got four friends. And there are some special things about these four friends. One of the first special things that sticks out, they're persistent. Persistent. Because they could have gave up anywhere along the way. Oh, we're carrying them, and oh, that's cr- it's, too, it's too crowded. That'd have been me. You ask Kathy. The, where'd we go yesterday? Costco. Don't go with oh, don't ever go to Costco on Saturday. Don't go with you. Oh man, we go to Costco, and 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 I'm I'm hollering at her the whole time. I don't know how she drives with me in the car because I, I always got to tell her what I think. It's like Jason riding with me. He does the same stuff. So. Oh. But anyhow, we're we're pulling in the parking lot, and, and there, I, literally, there's it, it reminded me more of California than anything I've seen since I've been in Idaho. And everybody going helter-skelter. Nobody wants to wait on nobody else. Everybody's mad. You know, you get that look where they're mad. And, you, and I, I think we've seen like three people almost get run over by cars in 30 seconds while we're there. And I'm like, I don't care what we're here for. I don't want it now. <laughs> Forget it. No persistence. I'm out. I don't ever want to see this place again. <laughs> right about that time, she found a parking spot and pulled in. I thought, you're never going to find a place. you know, never... <laughs> <laughs> Lord have mercy. <clears throat> Thankfully, the paralytic's friends were persistent. They see the crowd. They can't get close to Jesus. But they don't give up. Now... Here's some things we kind of overlook sometimes when we look at this story. We go, well, then they, so they just went up on the roof. Whoa, slow down! <laughs> what do you mean they just went up on the roof? How'd they get up there? Yeah, Carrying a dude in a in a homemade litter, you know, like a like the kind of thing you would carry somebody in. Mash, you know, remember Mash? And they run around with a guy on this little bed, four guys holding the four corners. He's yeah, not strapped in there. I can, it's one of the things I'd like to play back and watch, because I just want to know, I just want to know what they did. But I know the crowd is big. Now, sometimes people say, well, there were stairs outside the homes, and maybe they took the stairs up. Well, look, the crowd, it says the crowd was so packed they couldn't even get to the door. So I'm going to say they couldn't even get to that house at all. I'm going to say, and having seen Capernaum, the houses were right next to each other. You could touch both houses. You could step from roof to roof. So I'm going to say those dudes went and found a roof, a block over, where they could actually get this guy on the roof without killing him while they're trying to get him healed. And they got him up on a roof and they walked across the roofs from one roof to another roof to another roof till they get to the one. You had all the pe- You don't want to dig through the wrong guy's roof, right? <laughs> so they get to it. I'm sure Jesus is inside looking up going, Oh man, any minute now, there should be bunch of dirt falling through. And you know, while he's teaching, who do you think is in the house in the seats? I guarantee there are people in the house in the seats. Them scribes and Pharisees took the best seats they could find. They walked in. They didn't care who was standing or nothing. They, you know, we're the the rabbis. We'll sit down over here and see what this guy Jesus has to say. I like that they're there. Because all the dirt that's going to fall in is going to land all over them. And those same people who at one time would look around and make sure all the people in the street that were unclean would say, Unclean! Yeah, they're going to be unclean. <clears throat> so they're sitting there. Scripture says they get up on the roof and they had to dig through. I just want you to picture the roof. So they got beams across the roof that go one way. And then across the other way they would lay all kind of branches um, so that they, 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 almost like they thatch it. But that's not the end. So you got beams across this way, and 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 thatches across this way, and and grass, whatever they could put up there, and then two feet of dirt packed on top, stomped down so the dirt gets hard like clay, right? So so the top of the roof gets like clay, so that it it holds out the water. They're flat roofs there, and yes, it does rain there, so. If we learn anything about flat roofs in this building, if you sit where Wendell is, you get a drop lands on top of your head every time it rains. How, huh, Wendell? Yeah, I ain't lying. He keeps a seat every week. He sits in the same spot. You think when it was raining, he'd move somewhere else, but he stays there. <laughs> and he just lets me know, yeah, Jack, it's still leaking. <laughs> so they put so you got two foot of dirt. You dig down through two foot of dirt, packed over all these branches. Can you? It's not like thirty seconds, sir. Jesus down there. You ever seen somebody up on a roof? Yeah, you can hear them, can't you? I, I just had it been one of the coolest things ever. There, Jesus is not being distracted; he's just teaching. And I'm sure the rabbis are like, "What in the world is going on on a roof?" This is what happens when you when you try to do Bible studies in people's homes. It's just never very good. <laughs> it's all this chaos and ruckus going on all the time. I could see them over there having their little complaints. And then, at some point, you know, it's that initial breakthrough. When you come through, and that whole load of dirt that just goes poof, down in the house. And that, you know Jesus got a big grin on his face, because he knows what's coming. But the rabbis, they're jumping up, shaking off their, their robes. Oh, what, what's going on? And they open up this it's no little hole. It's big enough to drop a man through. <laughs> so so I'm trying to remember when we were inside what they call Peter's house in Israel, but I don't remember it being huge. Like maybe twelve by twelve. So let's say it's a twelve by twelve square ish, and they take out a square three foot wide, right? Probably. And six foot long, that is a big hole in a roof. Oh, crazy. Just crazy. All the while, Jesus, God's just sitting there talking to the people. Probably using some of the stuff they're doing as different illustrations as he shares. Because he's just waiting for that day. So the time comes and they lower the guy down. They lower him down through the roof. Man. And then the scripture says, Jesus was amazed when he saw their faith. The paralytic's not doing anything. He's just laying in bed. But when Jesus saw the faith of the friends, that was persistent faith. Wasn't it? Man, they were not going to quit. They were not going to stop. A little roof, two foot of roof, that's not going to stop us. We're just going to tear through the roof. We're going to get to him. We're going to get to where he is. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says this. It says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap. What's it say next? If we don't lose heart. If them friends had quit anywhere along the way, this is a different story, right? But they did not ever, 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 Give up. How many of us have somebody like that paralytic that we're praying for, pulling for, wanting to see God move in their life, or God to save them, or God to change their direction, or get them on a different path, and we're looking? I know, because a lot of people come in all week long praying for kids that are, that are, are, are prodigal, they're, they're out somewhere that they ought not to be, or people that are going through hard things that people love and they care about. And one of the things, every one of them, that comes and talks to me has in common is they're all despairing and they're all ready to give up. God's not going to do it. I've been praying for years and God ain't done it yet. But maybe you ain't dug through the roof yet. Just so you know, it is always too soon to quit. Always. Always. You're never going to find a place where the Bible says, yeah, okay, stop praying now. Give up on them. Man, He he wants us to continue. He wants us to always pray and not lose heart. To be persistent. Because it was the faith of the friends that changed that guy's life. Four friends who had faith, who said, there's something special about Jesus, you know, and and I I don't know what He'll do, but we got to get, you know... Johnny over to him. We got to get him in there. And so well, there's people in the way. Well, we're going to go around them. Oh, we got to go up on the roof. Let's go up. We'll find a way. Oh, now we're up on the roof and there's no skylight. We got to make one. Okay, let's make it. They did whatever they had to do to get him to Jesus. And man, it's, it's just beautiful to see that persistence, that determination. The determination, the one thing they knew, right? One thing, the psalmist says the same thing. One thing have I desired. <clears throat> all they had to do was get them to Jesus. All you have to do with whoever it is you're praying for or longing for, or the person that you want to see touched by the master's hand, all you got to do is get them to Jesus. That's it. You don't got to get them a church. You don't got to get them to stop drinking Stop doing drugs, stop doing all the stuff that they ought to stop. You just got to get them to see Jesus. They get to Jesus and all that stuff will happen. All you got to do is get them a Jesus. And these four guys, that's what they knew. All we got to do is get them a Jesus. I love it. They, they drop it down in him. They bring it to him. They're, they're so focused, so committed to, to getting them to Jesus that they bring him in, and then the scripture tells us Jesus speaks, but who's he speak to? In verse five it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic So Jesus is not talking to them. He looked at the faith of the friends, and he's blown away. So he said to the paralytic, My son, Technon. It means my little child. It's a term of endearment. My son, your sins are forgiven. That guy laying down didn't ask for nothing. We don't even know if he could talk. It's possible that he's not able to do anything. He just is alive, but that's it. So he's laying there on that mat, not saying a word. Jesus sees the faith of the friends and looks down him and says, "Your sins are forgiven." And that moment had to be unreal. Unreal, especially for the paralytic, laying on the mat. Is he there because of sin? We don't know. Maybe I don't know. We don't know his story. We're all broke. We all got sin. We all need God to forgive us if we're going to have a relationship with Him. There's no way apart from that. It's a work that God must do, that God has to do. So Jesus looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Man, He saw the faith of the friends and He loved them. Literally, when He says this, I just don't want you to miss it. Because it really makes the scribes and the Pharisees mad. He is speaking in the place of God. He's not just saying randomly. He is taking the place of God and forgiving the sins of this guy who hasn't said a word, right? According to the scripture, he didn't say nothing. He just lay in there. He didn't say, oh Lord, forgive me. Nope, his four friends just did everything they could to get him a Jesus. And when he got to Jesus, he didn't have to say anything. Jesus did it. That's awesome. That's incredible to, to take a look at. And so he says it, and immediately we move from that to, to the people struggling with, with the concept of sins being forgiven, especially the Pharisees. Look what they say in verse 6. And some of the scribes are sitting there, and they reason in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemy like this? No one or who can forgive sins but God alone. Only God can forgive. Everywhere throughout the Old Testament, Micah seven eighteen. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights to do mercy. <laughs> All the while, the children of Israel were really good at seeing the mercy of God on them. It was a struggle for them to see the mercy of God on anybody else. And before we're too hard on them, how are we any different? We always pretty much want mercy for us, don't we? Oh, mercy. But we see somebody else doing wrong. Somebody else we we don't like or that irritates us or whatever. And we're, we're quick to want to call for the judgment of God to fall upon them. But that's not ever God's heart. God's heart is to be long-suffering toward us, desiring that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's the heart of God. So here God, standing in a a place, the roof's ripped off, a guy's lowered down, the scribes and the Pharisees didn't say nothing, they were just thinking it. That's what the Word says. They thought, this guy is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? This is how we know Jesus is what the theologians call omniscient. That means he knows everything. Because he knew what they were thinking. He knew what was going on in their heart. It says, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned this way within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? So he says, hey, why are you guys thinking this? That had to be... A little wild, right? Why are you why are you having this thought? Which is easier to say to this paralytic Your sins are forgiven, or arise, take up your bed and walk. Well, Jesus is set in the scene. He wants them to know. Remember last time we talked about it, the people were saying, Man, this guy teaches with authority. It's like he knows the word so well, it's so intimately aware of the word of God it's different than anybody else ever taught. He he speaks with authority and the demons leave. He rebukes illness and people are immediately healed. There's nobody like him. Nothing they'd seen like this before. And so Jesus is setting the stage for him. He's setting the stage so that they could begin to understand who he is saying he is. He's already stood in the synagogue in Nazareth and declared himself to be Messiah. And the people tried to kill him. But it wasn't his time. The Bible says Jesus just walked through the middle of them. He was never afraid of the crowds. The crowds couldn't touch him until it was his time. So he passed through the middle of the crowd. Now he's he's teaching, he's healing, he's been going around the Sea of Galilee, doing incredible things. People are blown away by what they see. So he sets a table. Which is easier to say? If I say to you, your sins are forgiven, can you see it? How do you know it's true? If Jesus says to that paralytic who's laying on the ground who can't speak, is just laying there and Jesus says your sins are forgiven you, and that was all he did, how would anybody know for sure that he could forgive sins? They couldn't. So it would be way easier for him just to say that. So he asked the scribes, which is easier to say? If I say your sins are forgiven, you can shout blasphemy, but you can't prove it one way or the other, whether his sins are forgiven or not. But if I say, rise up and walk, and you don't get up and walk, you know for sure whether or not something has occurred, right? You can see it. So Jesus asked him, which is easier? And then he says, so that you might know. I love this word. He says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. That word know is is not the word that you might have knowledge. It's the word that you might experience. That you might see. That you might experience me forgiving sin on earth. He looks over at the paralytic man and he said, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And the scripture tells us, Immediately, immediately he arose, took up his bed and went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God and said, what? We've never seen anything like this. Never seen anything like this. (laughs) Jesus said, so that you might experience what forgiveness of sin looks like. Rise and walk. Now we don't know how long the guy is paralyzed for. We don't know what shape he's in, but we do know this. When Jesus said it, it happened. Now, he got up. Picked up the bed they lowered through the the roof. And he walked out. I'm sure his buddies up on the roof are dancing a jig. Woo! Running down the stairs. People are excited. People are excited about what's going on. The changes that are being wrought in their life and the things that God's doing for them. But this is a point... In the ministry of Jesus, where one group starts to follow, and one group decides to try to kill. That's the dividing point. Isn't that crazy? So crazy to me. But as you look at it, we see immediately He rose. We've never seen anything like this. And look at verse 13. Then He went out again by the sea. And all the multitude came to Him. And He taught them. So here we see the people are coming to Him. But He's teaching. See, before they were coming to Him to be healed. Remember, they brought all their sick. Well, maybe there's no sick left. Maybe He healed them all. But now they're still coming to hear. They want to hear what God the Word is saying to them. The direction that He's given in their life. They're coming To hear the Word. It's the Word of God that changes us from the inside out. So they're coming to be taught. They're coming to hear. And so he teaches them. And as he's teaching, he's walking and he's teaching. People are walking with him. In verse 14, He passed by and saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. I love how the Bible just throws that out there. Like, yeah, what's the big deal? So Levi, who's Matthew, going to write the Gospel of Matthew, same guy, he's a tax guy. So a tax guy is unclean. A paralytic is unclean. A leper is unclean. Them scribes and Pharisees, they were even unclean. All of these people coming to Jesus are unclean. They're broken. If a tax person touched A rabbi, they were unclean until they could clean themselves because a tax collector touched them. They couldn't come to the temple. They couldn't worship. They had traded all of the opportunity to worship or follow God or learn about his teachings or learn his ways or study the law when they decided to chase money. And every tax collector was rich because you paid the taxes for the whole area. So, if, and these guys, Matthew is collecting for Herod. So, Herod's going to charge whatever tax Herod charges. Herod charges everybody 10 bucks. So, Levi pays the 10 bucks for everybody. He contracts that 10 bucks, and then whatever he can raise above that is his. So, they're the strong arm. They're ripping off and cheating people and. And so they do this. It's just the way they collect taxes. always the way they've done it. Jesus is teaching all these people. are following Him. A whole crew of people who used to be a variety of different ways of unclean. But you're, you're starting to see their lives start to change. Why are their lives changing? Because they're following Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, it doesn't take very long. And after a while, you're following Him and you start stepping where He steps. And you start talking like He talks. And doing what He does. That's how he taught his disciples. Come and follow me. So he says to Levi. So you guys are going to see Levi sitting at a table with money all around him. And Jesus just walking by. Looks over at him and says, come follow me. Now I don't know what was going on in Levi's mind. I like to think that Levi's seen Jesus coming. And in his mind he's thinking, man, I, I really wish... I could be with him. But some of the choices I made in my life, I can't do it. I'm stuck here. I don't know. Jesus walked over and said, follow me. And he left it all. Walked away from a table. Are you kidding me? Tax collector, table, money, somebody took it. The guy next to him, the people he had hired, I don't know. But the Bible says Levi got up and followed him. And we know he followed him because the next thing you see is that he's hanging out at Levi's house. <clears throat> he's gone together with him. Look what it says. He, he, it says in verse 15, now it happened that he was dining at Levi's house. Man, in, in the Gospel of Luke, what, around, uh, I'm going to say 19, it might be too late. <clears throat> You've got this, the story of the rich young ruler right before Zacchaeus. And the rich young ruler, he he he. Jesus tells him, give away everything you got, come and follow me. And the Bible says the rich young ruler goes away sorrowful. And a little while later, Jesus is walking through and he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree and he says, hey Zacchaeus, what you doing up there? I'm coming to your house to eat. And so Jesus goes and eats at Zacchaeus' house. So what does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, had done all this crooked stuff in his life, he's so touched by the fact that Jesus is in his house and he's hanging out with him that he Jesus never tells him to do anything. His life just changes because he's in his presence. Nobody has to tell you this isn't okay and that's not okay. If you're in the presence of Jesus, nobody's got to tell you. You know what you're supposed to lay down. You know what he's telling you to put aside. And you can be like the rich young ruler and say, no, I'm not putting that aside. I'm going to hold on to it and go away sorrowful. Or you can be like Zacchaeus and let it all go and rejoice forevermore. I know. That's okay. That's okay. We can let all of that stuff Go and receive all the things that God is promising us. So he goes to the Levi's house. Look what happens. <clears throat> and many tax collectors. Oh, so those are a lot of unclean people, right? Remember, I told you you can't even touch nobody, can't worship. <clears throat> and what else is there? Not only tax collectors, what's the other word? Oh, my goodness, we can't believe we say those kind of words in church. <laughs> tax collectors and sinners sat together with Jesus. That doesn't mean they're sitting down like this. Okay, Sometimes when we read the Bible, we miss the picture. So Jesus is over at Levi's house, they're eating. In those days, they ate, reclining around a table. So that means they're laying around a table, and they're eating. And when it says he sat with sinners, it means sinners are all around him. They're touching him, they're next to him, they're laughing, they're poking, he's jabbing elbows, whatever they're doing, with all these sinners. All these unclean people are touching Jesus. He's He's totally unclean now, according to the rabbis. He's totally dirty. He's with all those bad people. And nowhere in this section does it say Jesus was telling them all how they got to change. He's just with them. And when people are with Jesus, they just want to be better. They're not satisfied. If If you say you're with Jesus and you're satisfied in your sin, you're a liar. You are not with him. If you are with him, man, you're not... Things bug you, you know. It's that itch you can't scratch. And you're like, oh, it's making me crazy. Sinners all around him. Tax collectors. People out of the street. People a a rabbi, a Pharisee, or a scribe wouldn't even waste time speaking to. All gathered in one place to eat. It says, and when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating, oh, better tell you that. In the, in the Eastern culture, if you share a meal with someone, you are becoming one with them. To share a meal is very important. Maybe it's less important for us on the West, in the West, but in the East, to eat with someone, someone invites you to eat. They are saying, we want to become one, unified. We want to be together. Otherwise, they won't have you over. And you sit down and share a meal means you're becoming one with all these people. And so the scribes are watching Jesus eat with these guys. You're sharing the same loaf of bread. You're, you're sharing the same goat or whatever they're eating. And as they're eating it, they're, they're all seeing this, this unity with all these sinners that are taking place. <laughs> he saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners. And they said to his disciples, because they're not going to say it to him. They say to the disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Don't get confused. Jesus is not saying that the scribes and the Pharisees are well but he is saying I've only come for the sinners. I told you in the beginning there's only two ways to come to Jesus. You are broken over your sin or he breaks you. Scripture lays it out for us. Let's look at Luke 20:17 and 18. This <clears throat> we'll just wrap it up here Jesus is telling a parable and he this is how I see people coming to Jesus the only way no one comes to the Father except through him nobody has a reconciled relationship with God Almighty except through God the Son and the only way you have it is to fall down before him broken like all those sinners did Think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. Down on her knees before God. Everybody ready to stone her, but Jesus, the Bible says, stoops down and writes in the sand. And so they ask Him again, Rabbi, what are we going to do with this woman? So Jesus says, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone, And he stoops back down and begins writing in the sand again. We don't know what he wrote. We know the word that they use for writing is a word for legible writing. So he wrote something legible. We don't know what it is. He wrote. And they left until only he was left. From oldest to youngest, all the men that were condemning this woman left. And Jesus looked at her and said, where are your accusers? She said, there are none, Lord, but you. The only one on the whole universe that has the right is standing in front of her. She's a sinner. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Be changed. Change your direction. Man. In Luke 20, verse 17, it says, And Jesus looked at him and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Listen, whoever falls on that stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Two ways to come. You are broken over your sin before holy God and He reconciles you. Or you reject that and the stone falls on you and you are ground to powder, destroyed. One speaks of condemnation, the other of salvation. Everyone stands before God. Everyone will stand before Jesus Christ and only one of two possibilities occur. You're saved Or you're lost. You were broken over your sin. And you fall before him like the leper saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If anybody asks him, what's the Bible say? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall shall be saved. The leper calls out. Jesus didn't say, no, I'm not willing. He said, I am willing. And he touched him. The paralytic has dropped through. He didn't even get to say anything. He's on the ground. What does Jesus do? Your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because he saw the faith of his friends bringing him to Jesus. That's how we come. It's the only way. Broke. The problem is, we're more like them scribes and Pharisees sitting in the room, complaining about the dust falling on us, and the dirty people, than we are like the tax collectors and sinners. And God, He wants to change that heart in us. We don't want to be like that, do we? I'm blown away at the things Jesus did and, and the, the requirements He didn't have. Man, He truly is the friend of sinners. He didn't leave them that way. But He did tell him, come follow Me. And if you're following Jesus, you're not going to be in that place. So today we come before the Lord, and we have opportunity to pray and call upon His name, this will be my encouragement to you. Man, if you have never fallen on that stone, broken over your sin, what are you waiting for? And if there's somebody you've been praying for that God would do that for, then don't you ever quit. Don't you ever stop. You persist. Until Jesus looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. waves his arm out in heaven and says great is your reward And there just beyond where Jesus is standing is the one for whom you prayed don't you quit don't you stop don't you give up we got to finish this race with joy he says you have need of endurance so buck up and we get to cracking there's a whole world of lost people out there man Tax collectors and sinners outside the door. And they're going to stay outside the door till God's people start to reach out to them and love on them and do it like Jesus did. Just come to Jesus. He'll fix all that other stuff. Come to Jesus. Fall on the stone. Be broken before Him. Don't let the stone fall on you.